perception, perception is, is reality. Reality. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this 98th episode of Perception is Reality. I'm your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey. It's good to be with you. I am so happy to be talking with you all on this beautiful, beautiful April day. I hope you're having a wonderful time, and I hope that you're staying safe. Don't forget to share the show with everyone that you know. Remind them we can be found on all major podcast hosting sites as well as the home link of perception.fireside.fm. Remind everybody, all they got to do is search Bilbrey, B-I-L-B-R-E-Y, podcast, and we pop right up. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey318. The conversation always continues there. So for this episode, it's just going to be you and I, and we're going to be discussing a couple articles that I have ran across in the last couple days. And I just, I get so enraged when I read these articles, all by this one gentleman. And we'll talk about him here in a second. I tried to have him on, but I guess they decided they didn't want to stand behind their words. So it is what it is. But this topic is going to be controversial, I think, because there are people out here that really believe this, and I, I just don't know how. I I just, I'm okay with you thinking the way that you think, if it's different than my way of thinking. I'm okay with this gentleman spewing the words that he spews because of the First Amendment. I would definitely fight for his right to put this information out there where I have an issue is he won't stand behind his words. And that's what we'll get to in a moment. I want to let you know that everything we discuss today, all the different articles and anything that you need to be able to look at yourself, the links to all of that will be in the summary of this episode. So you yourself will be able to review everything that I discuss. That's that's important to me because I won't read through the entirety of the article. It'll just take too much time. I'll let you look it up. I'll let you dissect it if you so choose, and it will all be in the summary of the episode. So we might as well get right into it. The title of this episode is The Great Deception, and that's a play on words. Because the article that 
first came to my attention was The Great Inflection. And it's a blog that a gentleman named Umar Hack, H-A-Q-U-E, that's his proper pronunciation, Umar Hack. And I couldn't agree more because I believe Umar to be a hack. Here's the deal. I read this article when it was first sent to me by a listener, and I instantly got mad. <laughs> I mean, I read this thing, and I, I was reading it, and while reading it, I like kind of yelled, ah, you know, like, not just like that, I just, I, I yelled out because I was, I, like, bullshit or something, and somebody said, are you all right? You know, I said, yeah, I'm just reading some nonsense, and I started to make a post about it on Facebook, and I stopped because I thought, you know, I'm just not going to be able to get out what I want right now. So I stopped, I read, I finished the article, and that was that. And a couple days went by, and I read it again, and I got even more angry, and I started to post, and I didn't. And I actually read, I've read this now like three or four, maybe five times, maybe more than that. And every time I read this article, I got angry because it's just... It's brainwashing, in my opinion. It's it's disgusting. And, and I'm really sad for people who see the world like this. He puts out articles every day on his blog, and I will link all of that again in the summary of this episode. But he puts out these little articles daily. 10-minute read here, a 12-minute read here, 17-minute read there. And he's telling you why we're where we're at and why it's your fault, why it's my fault. It's not his fault because he is on the other side thinking rationally and we are all the bad people because of how we believe and because of our actions or, or inactions in some, some cases. But he's not willing to debate. He's not willing to stand behind his words. So the last time that I read the article that was sent to me back around the 17th of April, I finally was able to get out a stream of consciousness. So I shared his article, and then I shared my thoughts on it. And that's when the light bulb went off, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him, and I'm going to see if he'll come on my podcast. And I'm going to interview him a little bit, find out, you know, his backstory, get some of his thoughts concerning what he's been writing, and then we're going to get down to it. I'm going to tell him what I take issue with, and maybe we could have a good back-and-forth discussion. Maybe something could come of it. You know, who knows? Maybe he would change my mind. Maybe I would change his mind. Maybe we would come to a happy middle ground. And I reached out to him or his camp. I don't know who exactly I was speaking with. Somebody from his team, whether it be an attorney or a manager or, or him directly. I, I reached out to... 
a couple different folks, and I got in contact, and they actually responded back to me. And I asked them if they would be interested in doing a recorded podcast. And I asked if they would be interested in, you know, coming on. I could interview Mr. Hack. (laughs) And we could talk about the great inflection, his article from April 17th, 2020. He could explain what he was going for. And then... We could have an open dialogue back and forth on, you know, the pros and cons of his piece. They were all for it at first until they started asking me about my beliefs and they started asking me about, you know, the podcast. And of course, I told them where they could find it. And then when it became apparent that I didn't buy into his way of thinking, they became a little less willing to communicate until they just decided to start ghosting me, which is fine. And it says a lot about Mr. Hack. (laughs) I'm going to laugh every time I say it. But that doesn't stop me from giving his work to you in the way that he presents it. You know, that's the only thing I can do since he was unwilling to talk with us. And then I can tell you my thoughts and my feelings on it. So the first piece that I read by Umar was a blog entry called The Great Inflection. And then it's subtitled, Why We Are Going From an Age of Stability to an Age of Catastrophe. And it was published on April 17th, 2020. And it's got a picture where he drew out a graph, and he calls it the Great Inflection. And he's got, on one side, living standards, and then down along the bottom... He's got 1800s, 2020, 2050, and so on. So it's, you know, XY graph. And then he has line of catastrophe, and it connects the two lines. And then he's got a line shooting up from the corner, from the 1800s, going up off the page, and it says line of progress. And then there's a great big point in the middle where the line of catastrophe meets the line of progress, and he has it titled Now. And it's talking about the line of progress going forward to meeting the line of catastrophe, and catastrophe line is accelerating as we move into the future, And then the line of progression becomes the progress lost, and it just keeps going out into nowhere. And I thought, well, that's that's rather bleak. Then I started to read this piece, and he starts out by saying, does it feel like the world's started to fall apart over the last 12 months or so, or even the last three months? That tiny voice in you shouting, yes, it isn't wrong. It's right. You are not an alarmist or a maniac, 
right about now, understanding that things are falling apart, is the sanest thought of all to have. He goes on to say, every now and then there's what's come to be called an Annus Horribilis, a particularly terrible year. Take, for example, well, this one, 2020. Consider for a moment the last three months or so. In January, mega fires. In February, mega floods. In March, a global pandemic. Can you imagine another year like this one? Could any of our societies even take it? Now consider the last 12 months or so. Before the mega floods and mega fires and pandemic, concentration camps in America and China. Whole ethnicities and religions banned from citizenship in China. The Brits breaking up with their old friends in Europe, while neo-Nazis stalked the Bundestag, which is the parliament in Germany. The rise of a wave of demagogues shredding democracy and peace and sanity gleefully to the roaring approval of Facebook-addled masses. Not just in some remote other poor nations, but in the heart of the West, in Westminster and in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. So can you imagine another year like the last 12 months? The last two or three years? We're already on our knees as a civilization. Another year like this one, another decade of such years, it doesn't bear thinking about. I have some bad news, and I have some worse news, and then maybe a tiny bit of good news, but that part is going to be up to you. The bad news is this. I've come to think we're living through a great inflection, a turning point, a point in the historic fortunes of a civilization, a point of no return at which great megatrends reverse, macro systems and macro institutions fail, and societies begin to break. See the chart above? It's the one I described horribly to you. We're at the yellow point in the center, where a grand upwards line becomes a sudden fall from the heavens. The next few decades are going to be like the last 12 months, only worse, at an accelerating pace. See the chart above? Here's what it means. Two lines. One glides neatly upwards, one falls downwards in a half parabola. Like a stone thrown off a cliff's edge, the point at which they intersect is the moment in which we live a great inflection. The upwards line is what you might call progress or civilization or prosperity. For most of our lives, our parents' lives and our grandparents' lives, the line crept slowly upward. So we're used to living in a certain kind of world. One, a placid world where there's little, if any, real change. Two, a world of progress where magically things like life expectancy and happiness seem to improve for no real reason we understand or even care about. And three, a world where if we just do our jobs, don't ask too many questions, things tend to work out all right. As you've probably already experienced, that world began to die in the last decade or so. The line of civilization and progress isn't gently gliding upward anymore. 
If you just do your job, you don't get rewarded. Mostly, you get brutally punished, betrayed, and abandoned by broken systems and elites who could care less. As a civilization, we're at the yellow point in the center of my chart, the inflection point. This is the moment at which everything changes. This decade, these years right now, the great megatrends which have defined history over the last few decades and centuries are all now reversing. The steady expansion of democracy, the steady expansion of democracy, progress and prosperity. Everything we know is being disrupted transformed, altered, sundered, ruptured, and living through times like that where great megatrends suddenly rupture is baffling and bewildering and surreal. That's what I meant by living through an inflection point. Historical inflection points might feel relatively slow to us. Things change in a decade, but to history, that's massive, radical, and a sudden change. The red line, the downward curve, the stone thrown off the cliff, what's that? It's all the catastrophes that have been slowly building in the background of a dying civilization. Ignored, neglected, looming, gathering force and pace and strength. Today, there's a perfect storm of catastrophes converging upon us. From one side, what you might call natural ones, climate change, ecological collapse, mass extinction, and of course, pandemic. From the other, socio-political economic ones, the economic ruin that follows all of the above, the political upheaval already being produced by decades of stagnation and inequity, and the sense that societies are slowly but surely losing the plot incapable of really cohering together anymore, taking collective action like America or the UK instead of at each other's throats, all that is what the line of catastrophe in the little chart above means. 2020 may have been the Annus Horribilis so far, but it's not some kind of anomaly. It's the future. It's the thunderous beginning of a new chapter in human history, the age of catastrophe. Hence, us at the yellow point. The upwards blue line is turning downwards red. Catastrophes are now coming harder and faster, and will do so for our lifetimes, most likely. Things aren't going back to quote-unquote normal, not tomorrow, not the day after, not ever. The next few decades will be likely to be like the last year or two, only worse. 2020 was the year we began to finally witness the full fury of all the catastrophes we've been living through in blissful denial, whether it's a pandemic, depression, climate change, or fascism. Think of a volcano suddenly exploding. Bang! All that pent-up heat, pressure, and lava suddenly goes ballistic, hurtling through the air, scorching everything in sight. That's what we've done, only with much larger catastrophes than a mere volcano. Think of climate change. It's been gathering force and fury for decades now. Scientists, every month or so, publish yet more alarming data. The skies are polluted by this much more. The oceans warming and rising by that much more. The temperatures rising and rising and rising. As a race, as a species, we've mostly ignored it. 
Sure, we've made up half-hearted efforts like teenagers who, when asked to clean their rooms, throw dirty socks under the bed and maybe muss the sheets. Or think of mass extinction. If you think we've barely begun to fight climate change, you're right. The truth is that we haven't even begun to think about how to fight mass extinction. So life on planet Earth as we know it is dying off at astonishingly high rates. 40% of the species is gone. 60% of that one. 80% of this one. And the rates are accelerating. More in the little ones. But worry for yourself and your loved ones too. Because the fish clean the rivers and streams. The insects turn the topsoil. The animals nurture the forests and reefs. Killing life as we know it is a sure recipe to collapse our megasystems, our food chains, supply chains, resource chains, the things of which we critically depend on. When all of that happens in another 15 or 20 years, that wave of catastrophe will make this one look toothless by comparison. And from there, he goes on to talk about a bunch of other more horrible actions and more horrible things that we will see and, and setting the stage for it all being our fault. Ah, but yes, towards the end, he talks about the good news, the tiny bit of it. He goes on to say, I think it's imminently more straightforward. It's modeled on the most successful societies we know of in human history, which are social democracies. Every human being deserves dignity, resources, freedom. Notice freedom is at the end of his list there. Which are enshrined in rights to health care, education, income, and so on. Every life of any kind does. And so the animals and the ecosystems need to to earn a living too, which can be spent on protecting and nourishing them. To that, we need a global institution, new banks and funds and agencies and so forth, like a global ecosystem bank, a world health care organization, which actually coordinates a world's health care or a world bank that can actually invest in you and me, where everyone can have an account, which receives a basic income. Think of how many good jobs all the above would create too. You can think that at a national level, why don't you just have an account at the central bank? Why aren't oceans and reefs people too? If corporations are, how come Amazon Inc. is worth a trillion dollars, but the Amazon River is worth nothing? Why is it that every single person doesn't get a nest egg at birth that can mature into investments in a business, college, or both? How come we don't have institutions to do any of that? But we do have a dozen new WhatsApp clones every other day. I don't think any of this is complicated, really, except to two groups of people, Americans and elites. Elites like to imagine that what I am envisioning is impossible, but that's mostly because they don't want to admit that their world failed. Americans, on the other hand, are used to being powerful and selfish, and that's made them arrogant, so they tend to think of change in incremental terms. My friends, cautious incrementalism isn't going to cut it. 
That is the single most urgent lesson of this great inflection. Does it feel like the world has started to fall apart this last year? Let me say it again. That feeling is not wrong. It has. It is. The way to fight it is to get radical, to get visionary, to get serious about building a new world, one in which these fundamental, beautiful ideas of civilization, equality, freedom, Again, you notice how freedom is further down the list? These people never like to think about freedom being a force that should be fought for at the top of the list because with freedom, you can have everything else. They tend to think of freedom as a lesser important idea or need than, than other things like making sure that rivers are people too. All right, that's where I'm going to stop it. That's where I'm going to stop reading this. If you want to read this entire article, please, you can do so underneath the summary of this podcast episode. Let me just read you a couple of his other titles, and then I'm going to get into my thoughts on this. So, the article from Monday the 27th is, The world as we know it is over. What happens next? Does our civilization have a future? All right. Some other titles are The Age of Ignorance. Why we live in a time when ignorance proudly parades itself as enlightenment. The Age of Suffering. How America abused itself to death. Uh, America's still committing economic suicide. Everyone's dying and no one cares. If we don't stand together, we will fall apart. Dead and free, the new American dream. Dead and free, the new American dream. This gentleman is so disgusting in his thoughts. We have brought this upon us because we fight for freedom, because we want liberty, because we want everyone to be able to fight for the same chance to have their piece of the pie. You know, you got to work for it, and it's tough, and it's not always easy, and nobody's going to give you anything. Why don't we get a nest egg at birth for us to be able to to grow so that we can have what others have who have worked for it. Why don't we get a nest egg at birth? Because that's not how it works. You have to fight, fight, fight in this world for what you want. Whether you're an American or you're born in Iraq or England. And now let me say real quick, the author here, Mr. Hack is not an American, and I understand, you know, and that doesn't mean I'm any better or, or any, you know, anything bigger than he is. It doesn't mean we're better than he is. I also don't have issue or take issue with thinking that America is the best country in the world. He probably thinks that England is the best country in the world. Listen, I've lived in England. I talk to British folks. British folks that were white, British folks that were black, British folks that were Persian, and they all believed that England was the best country in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. However, in his article here, we are hearing how because of beliefs, 
in our country, beliefs that we have held in America, we have created the situation that we are in. And we have created this new downward trend where everything is going to become more bleak. Now to that, I will say, yeah, I could see a world where it's going to get worse and worse off. But I'm going to talk about something a lot of people don't sometimes like to hear. And I don't think that has anything to do with Americans loving freedom and Americans understanding that we have to fight for a piece of the pie. And it's tough and it's hard and not everybody gets there because not everybody has it. It's easier to do drugs than to face the pain. It's easier to steal to get what you want than to work to get what you want. It is easier to cheat than to follow the rules because that kind of stuff is tough. That's part of being human, the human condition. People will try and they will fail. And it's dependent upon what you do with that failure on whether or not you make it up the ladder a little bit further from where you were. If you try and you fail and you give up, well, you've given up. If you try and you fail and you get up and you try again, that is what takes you a little higher up the scale. I don't look at any of the things that are going on and think, well, it's because I love liberty that we're having these bad situations. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, it might be because we're living in the time that was detailed in the book of Revelation. You know, it might, it just might be that we are living in the last days, folks. And that's not a pleasant conversation to have, especially if you're a non-believer. I could see times being a whole lot worse than they are now, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't think we've seen anything yet. But we'll get into that more on the other side of this quick break. You're listening to Perception is Reality. This is episode 98. We'll be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. Perception is reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to this 98th episode of Perception is Reality. I am your host, Christopher H. Bilbrey, and today we're talking about how everything sucks in the world because of the American dream. That's right, folks. We are talking about why we are in the position that we are in in the world due to the fact that Americans, well, used to like freedom and used to believe in liberty. We are learning through the more progressive liberal stance that 
what we are seeing happening in the world and all of the ills are because of capitalism and because of the belief that you have to work to get where you want to be in life and that it's not always easy. Yeah, some people have dumb luck. That just happens. But most people have to put in effort to get where they want to be. And a lot of people are going to fail. Not once, not twice, but 50 times before they succeed. And a lot of those people are going to fail and they're going to give up. And, and that sucks, but that's just the way of the world. It's got nothing to do with a belief system. It's just, it's hard in the world. It's hard to make it. But you have to have determination. You have to have a willpower. You have to have that drive. It's that drive that gets you where you want to be. But getting back to blaming America, I read you one of the articles, and I'm going to link a couple different articles in the summary of this episode so you can read it. And you can tell me if you believe what he's saying because you're not just going to get all of this from the words. You've got to look at the deeper meaning. He's blaming you for wanting to trust the free market. He's blaming you and blaming me for appreciating liberty. You know, since when did Democrats not like freedom? Now, my grandmother was a Democrat, and she loved America. She loved the freedom that we have. What is this big push to blame everything on the ideas that we hold dear in America? Yes, have we had issues and struggles and problems and dark periods in our history? Absolutely. So has every other society out there. Every civilization, every nation, every country, every grouping of people have had dark periods of time, have had histories they would like to be able to wash away. But that doesn't make the culture as a whole, something that needs to be changed and something that needs to be done away with, and it doesn't make America bad. America is not to blame because we value freedom. America is not to blame because we're allowed to have differences of opinion. Look, I have no problem with race. I have no problem with, with homosexuality. I have no problem with transgenderism. It doesn't mean I believe that a woman who is born a woman that wants to be a man is a man. I don't believe that way. I believe that if you are born biologically a woman and you want to be a man, that you are a woman who wants to be a man. And... Now, listen, don't get lost here because you're going to listen to this, but you're not going to hear what I'm saying. If you're a woman 
who was born biologically a woman, and you now want to be a man, and you want me to call you a man? All right, I'll do that. I'll do that because I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to add to your struggle in life. That doesn't mean I believe that you should be able to force somebody else into their thought. What, you're going to be the thought police? If somebody wants to call you a woman and they want to be a dick about it, well, then they're just a dick about it. There are hateful people in the world. The First Amendment doesn't protect the speech we like. It protects the speech that we don't like. That's what protects hate speech. It allows people to put out publications that we would not read. It allows people to write and sing songs that we would not listen to. But you can't do away with that because as soon as you do away with that, then you do away with all speech. Because who gets to decide? So blaming the ills of the world on the American value, the American way of life, maybe some of which you don't agree with, is, is just ignorant. It's, it's not something that makes you an intellectual. It makes you somebody who's trying to browbeat others into your way of thinking. It's trying to tell people that they have to accept the liberal mindset. It's getting people to try to believe that they are wrong because they have conservative points of view. And that cannot be okay. That's not something that is ever going to make the world a better place. We may be in a sucky position right now. We may be in a tough spot. But I'm telling you, we would be way further worse off if we didn't have the freedoms and the liberties that we do as Americans. So we heard there from the words of Ymir Hack, an Englishman who has a lot to say about why we as the world are in a bad spot all because of these Western or American values and the Western or American ways of life, capitalism, freedom, liberty. I want you to listen to this clip from another Englishman and listen to how very much he holds the ideas of the American way of life. He has the right principles and the right mindset. And we as Americans need to get back into this kind of thought that you're going to hear in just a moment. I want to say this to you. Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, that's all fine. We need to make a way for that to work under the American way of life. If you believe differently than I, then stand up and argue your point. And if others believe with you or start to listen to what you're saying, 
then that's all the better for you. But have conviction in what you say and be able to back up your points. Don't spew your, your point of view out there and then run away and hide like a little child. All right, so I'm going to let you hear this clip here, but I want you to listen and I want you to really take in his words. And I want you to think, no matter if you're Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, I want you to listen to what this gentleman's saying and see if you could fit his perspective into your American dream. We face ahead of us uncharted territory, but rest assured that the only thing that's certain in life is change. I mean, there's an old Chinese curse. It goes like this. May you live in interesting times. And here we are. Stand fast. I am quite aware that every single one of you has been through some tough times over the last few months. The last few years, even. And even though we don't always show it, it's part of the human condition. Everyone here has family. Perhaps you're worried about them. Perhaps you've lost someone, maybe experienced social problems or toiling away in dead-end jobs, listless, restless, aimless. But by getting to where you are today, you have demonstrated to me and everyone else that you're more than willing and able and that you've risen to the challenge. And now it's time to put one foot in front of the other. They call it walking. And take our rightful and necessary place in the future. There's a new world coming into view. Smile, be excited, because there's a whole world of possibilities out there. A career, get married, have children, ride Route 66 on a broke down motorcycle with $2 and 10 cigarettes in your pocket. Whatever you choose to do, embrace it, enjoy it. To be a mere passive observer of your own life is to be alive in a grave. Don't be afraid, none of you, because there's too much soul amongst our number for anything like that. So let's get involved, build a world where no child goes hungry, no man or woman has to walk alone, and where our cherished elders can go out at night without fear. Of course, there are politicians, and politicians of all stripes are capable of leading you, but none of them can solve your problems for you. Our faith leaders can guide and inspire, but it is only you that can meet your maker. There are philosophers, scientists, journalists even, that can articulate and rationalize and reconcile the abstract experience of what it is to be a human being. But when it comes to making a difference, it's deeds and duty that turn the tide. So if you're looking for a hero, the first place, the very first place you need to look is in the mirror. Don't judge others, or yourself for that matter, on capacity, but virtue. 
instead. You see, the executive has the task of extracting from the profile of a celebrity what appears to be exceptionalism, where often there is in fact just a void, and all too often where real heroism resides is in the unseen and in the unheard. Now we're not afraid. As a species, we emerged from the Ice Age, endured great wars, plagues. A family survived the genocide so that you could be here. And humanity, both past and present, throughout its existence on this small rock, has lurched from crisis to crisis. Today, the pandemic. In the last decade, wildfires, floods, famine. But remember, it's with events like these that you'll find out who's bogus and who is bona fide. I promise that everyone here today listening to this speech is beautiful. But what's more, it is a genuine article. The challenges that await us are in fact the best metric with which you can measure and demonstrate your energies and skills. You see, that's what separates a citizen from a civilian. It's not your job or the clothes that you wear, but it's an attitude. The ghost in the machine. Be willing to say, I'm going to put my neck on the line today, not, not tomorrow. You see, people like that crossed the Atlantic and went to the moon, built cities. The cities that we will build together will not be built on rock and roll or sound bites. Just like in the past, it starts with a brick, added to another brick, and so on. Have a look to your left, have a look to your right. These are the bricks from which we will build our metropolis. With the shining sword of liberty, and the shield of justice with its ebbing yet insistent glow. Climb to the tallest tower in the land, breathe the fresh air and know that it is we and we alone that are in command and responsible for our own destiny. Be diligent and determined and grateful and you'll go far. The world has known for a century or more now concerto of concrete, barbed wire and transistor radio. I'm sure some in their time have given up. But not us, not you. I for one pledge to you today that I will keep on trying, even if I'm picking the meat off the bones of a dying world. We stand here in calm fortitude whilst entire countries dance offbeat to the rhythm. But beyond the jangling discords of a nation and behind the crumbling apparatus of the state, you will always find good, honest, decent people. And that's who we're growing into. Big shoes to fill. You might have been born too late to be an intrepid explorer of the planet and its continents for the first time. Born too early to push our frontiers into space. But right now, 
you have the honourable endeavour of protecting and perpetuating civilization, not just mere survival. Let us choose to flourish. If it sounds hard or daunting to you, well, chin up. It's all about perspective. You see, the beast that stalks us from the shadows is not monstrous or malignant. It's benign and insidious. It's the gently corrupting notion that we are in some way insignificant, that we don't matter. Well, you do matter a lot, and you matter to me. Don't forget that small axes cut down big trees. Who and how we are, like ripples across a pond, have quantifiable and measurable effects far away from where they began. What you do matters. Don't ever think or let anyone else tell you otherwise and walk with your head held high. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. You see, the world doesn't need Superman, who can lift a bus above his head, or Wonder Woman, who can jump over tall buildings with a single bound. Give us a firefighter. Give us a dedicated parent, a mortal. There will be times, of course, that are hard and no one gets out alive. No one on the planet is immune to addiction or disease. But with the will and volition to pick up your tired feet, what the world needs is you, only you, and you at your best. All right, friends, that's where we're going to leave it. I want you to think about these two gentlemen. Think about what the author had to say. Think about what Jack Riverman had to say to you there in his message. And I want you to reach out to me and let me know, Democrat, Republican alike, conservative, liberal, what you think best fits a world that you want to live in. This has been the 98th episode of Perception is Reality, the great deception, and it doesn't have to be, folks. Please share the show with everyone you know. You know where to find me, how to find me, how to get in touch with me. Until next time, stay active, stay involved, stay safe, and God bless. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.